Los Screeders. Take the next right onto North 2000 East Road. <laughs> I almost said hello, Hobbsgoblins, but these are Screeders that we're talking to today. And Screeders, you're all super, super special to me. For six miles. I'm feeling a little bit emotional. I've known for quite some time that uh, one of our members has uh, pancreatic cancer and it's not, it's treatable but it's not curable. He also has a very young son and he has been playing in a legendary Kalmata, forming a legend all his own. He's none other than Aaron Coleman, the player of Baggio Gar the character in uh, Kalmata. Aaron has always been a staunch supporter. He is like a Viking. He's just like a, this strong, muscle-bound, muscle-head, really, in many ways, who happens to love RPGs. He's been picking my brain on running hex crawls and sandboxes campaigns for years, literally, I think, and been playing in them. He's a great player. He's also one of the guys we talk about in some different shows uh, with the This Is Easy button at GaryCon. I mean, I just have so many great stories about Aaron that it's one of the reasons why I'm such a fan of this hobby and uh, meeting people from the tribe. More often than not, I feel like in some ways I can be standoffish at cons. It's not because I'm a standoffish person. It's because I don't always feel comfortable or I don't always know what to say or I'm not sure how to react to people who've listened to me talk about, you know, deep, dark skeletons in the closet like I have on this show. And you listen to it, then you know me. I want to share, but at the same time, it may make me feel a little uncomfortable meeting you in person. So it's nothing personal. I know that you're an awesome person. I just don't always know what to say, and so I don't really say anything. Which is weird, because I'm actually a pretty charismatic dude. Uh, Yeah, I don't talk all that great all the time. I'm not super eloquent, but I'm usually pretty relatable and open and friendly, and that's all that Aaron is. So on July 8th on the Goodman Games Twitch, they're going to be doing uh, an auction uh, for basically his son's educational fund. So I don't know what you think about Goodman Games or me or anything, but if you're listening to this show, see if you can't take some time and write it down. Get a membership on Twitch. Not a membership, you know, just get the app and be prepared to watch as some of his personal friends up there in the old Minneapolis are basically trying to help him feel more secure in the people he is sooner than he should be leaving behind Uh, super sad super tragic fuck cancer I wish we could be battling things like our true enemies that are cancer instead of battling our ideological counter propaganda or ideas and Instead of fighting each other, we should be fighting the things that are killing us and our loved ones, which I hope isn't each other, though I do fear that that may be the case uh, much sooner than I would like. Anyway, on that note, 
I don't know. But I do know. <laughs> Today is June 26th. Holy Toledo, I can't believe it's that late already. 2022. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I am Jason Hobbs, and this is Hey, Jason, I did have some experience with Castles and Crusades, and it seemed to run pretty well. Uh, Kevin Madison used it for his Dark Sun Marathon um, this, this past year. And the only, the only um, tough thing was some mental juggling you have to do because the DC for ability checks are um, based on your set by your primary, tertiary, secondary, and tertiary ability scores. So you have to kind of juggle what's the target number and then determine what the level is based on the difference between you and the, the challengee, or the target of the challenge. Um, so there's some interesting things there. I guess you can use ascending or descending AC. Uh, I think we used a, ascending. So um, yeah, I guess kind of like swords and wizardry, right? I don't know. It, it seemed to work well. And if you played enough, it'll, you'll probably get used to it. Hey, Jason, it's uh, Larry here from Mumphrey's Musings. I'm really interested in your Castles and Crusades game, switching over to that recently. It seems like I'm looking into that myself to try to give it a run for my players after we finish up our 5th edition Curse of Strahd game. So uh, I know there's not a lot of feedback on that, but I've just started getting into the system, and I like the look of it. It simplifies some things, but... How much are you losing without a skill system? Uh, I haven't really got into it that much. I'd like to know uh, what you think of it so far. And I know you said it wasn't like exactly your system of choice, but you know what's better about it, what's not so good about it. Any information like that would be appreciated. All right, a couple calls from Carl Rodriguez. <laughs> he always does that when he talks about other people's names, so I do it, but I'm butchering it. Sorry, Carl. Of Geomologist In presents... half a mile, turn right onto Illinois 170 Northeast 29th Road. Wow, that's loud. And uh, Larry from uh, Mumphrey's Musings, which is also a great name, as someone has mentioned. Or maybe they'll mention it. I don't know. Anyway, about castles and crusades. Take the next right onto Illinois 170 Northeast 29th Road. I think it's a good game. I think it's pre-5th edition fifth edition what do y'all think about that because it is pre-fifth edition it's like not that long after third edition it's a, one of the earliest continue on east 29th road for 13 miles it's one of the earliest osr games in my opinions if i don't know if it came before or after osric i've forgotten i think that's something i've covered previously when i was running castles and crusades for the red road which is a campaign based in the Midwest of the Emergent Empires. Uh, yeah, that's how bad I am, guys. Anyway, uh, it, there's nothing wrong with Castles and Crusades. It's a decent game. In fact, I mean, a game hole con three years ago, we bought three or four sets of like every book, player's handbook, uh, and we bought like three or four player's handbooks, a couple GMs or Castle Keepers guides, and uh, like a backpack and some monster books and I mean I have a ton of their core books they do a ton of different printings I think originally Troll Lord was known for you know having misspellings and just bad editing but 
I mean, geez, their, their covers are like awesome now. They just did some homage covers to the player's handbook on like their eighth printing or something. And uh, they seem like good people. I haven't really heard a lot of issues as far as concerned, which is amazing and unusual. But uh, for me, the Siege mechanic was nice. It was a little difficult to explain needing a 12 on your primary stats and needing a, a 16 on your non, your secondary or tertiary. But uh, as far as the game goes, playing it, it's a simple game, right? The GM tells you when to roll and you roll and the rest of the time you just tell the GM what you're doing. Uh, I'm sure there's some sister mastery involved where you're going to try and edge towards the primary attributes of your character as opposed to the secondary or tertiary so you have a lower target number but I mean it's all those things that you go and Carl did a decent job of talking about that early Um, I think yeah the night below game for Kevin Madison is going to be using some classes and crusades for a while and I'm still I've been two session in castles and crusades in uh, the aired setting with Zach Pierce as a player, like I say, it's it's just this regular thing. As a GM, I felt like the stat blocks were kind of heavy because you're using attributes as um, target numbers and stuff like that. So now you have an attribute uh, line for all your stuff. But, I mean, in OSC, you still have a saving throw line for all your stuff. So, But for whatever reason, it was way easier for me to determine what saving throws are in OSE than trying to figure out what the attributes are of a saber-toothed tiger. I don't know, it's just me. It's one of the problems that I had. When I looked at the uh, monster manual or the creature catalog or whatever they call their monster book, I was my eyes just kind of rolled in the back of my head, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't like this. Uh, and then just I have a disinclination towards it. So why in the hell are you playing Castles and Crusades? Nothing against it, honestly. Don't be mad at me, Troll Lord. But why aren't you playing low fantasy gaming? Come on, man. Anyhow, you two, thanks for calling in. Let's move on. Well, we made characters for Hostel, and they it seemed to work pretty well. I just wanted to make sure how, or see how similar it was to Traveler character creation, which it was. So um, now on to, like, how am I going to do it? I, I don't want to take your relentless idea, but that idea is intriguing. If there is a sort of a mobile giant ship that represents, like, the company, like the company ship, and many ships come off it, kind of like a mobile space station, but not quite a Death Star. I'm just kidding. I don't know. That'd be too Star Wars-y, right? But I wonder if you could do that, like a mobile oil refinery that's also a starship, but is also a spaceport, um, and not so much a colony ship, because that really wouldn't fit with the aesthetic that they're trying to get with in Hostile, although there are colonists that get eaten by, you know, xenomorphs. But... Um, Yeah, so I'm getting some ideas. I don't want to take all of yours, but thanks. Carl calling in, talking about his new sci-fi campaign, uh, open table campaign, using the hostile rule set, which is built on the Cepheus engine, which is, of course, is built on classic Traveler. First of all, Carl, art is theft, my brother. Steal away. Steal away. I don't even know any of the other words. I was thinking of the Sail Away song, and then my mind went blank. That's how good I am at karaoke. If I'm not reading the words, I'm slacking. But uh, I think that's a fantastic idea. It doesn't even have to be necessarily an oil refinery. It could just be 
um, like a resources refinery. Like you go to a, a system near a planet and you like steal its <laughs> steal its resources, and then this thing, this ship, is capable of refining that raw materials. I mean, there's lots of uh, games, right, that are built on getting materials and then taking them in your little ship and then you get bigger and bigger and bigger. It makes sense that a massive corporation would have this ginormous, massive resources refinement ship that it could fly from system to system or planet to planet or whatever. And then it just has all, you know, millions of people living on it. And that's just so much fodder for campaign. You could just, that would be like an awesome campaign is just like looking into the lives of these people like i am automatically going to tap into you know people who are born on this ship and never are on a planet except to steal its resources right and that's so expanse right it's the belters except it's not on a belt it's just this massive resource ship so many of the places on the ship may be zero graph because it'd be a lot easier to deal with super heavy shit in that sort of situation. But like, I mean, the lightest touch can mess some things up. Uh, you could have, there's, a, you know, all the people who just simply do the refinement and it could be this oily, gritty, noxious gas and all these things all the time. Totally has its own aesthetic. I mean, you just, it totally feels like Alien and slash Blade Runner. I mean, because you have, you're going to have these little arcologies where the people live or the habs, different habs for different people maybe, or maybe you're a hab and you can, how do you ever get out of cleaning up? I don't even know what a common resource would be. Iron, the iron ore refinement at section. Oh, that's where the terrible one is. We have to get over here to the helium gas refinement area because that's where it really is. You know what I mean? You could just have this really kind of gritty, futuristic ship that's like a... I mean, they've got to have places for the people to blow off. So that's your space station part. So when some people aren't working, they're hanging out in the uh, wreck area, which is going to be different companies have paid to get on there. So you got McDonald's, Burger King, all of them paying money to uh, whatever, Nocturama, and now they have it on their ship. I just, I can just see it's so rich. And then when you pan back the camera and you start to try to discern different things that happen on the ship and are creating stories. And then you also have the actual uh, gathering of ore that happens. So you got all these people who, hey, what are they doing when they're not gathering? I mean, they're probably sleeping because that's what they do. They sleep during jumps in that setting, but... I just think it's fantastic. It really ignites the creative flames. Fans? Fans of creative? Ignites? That sounds like an explosion. I think you know what I'm saying. Thanks for calling in, Carl. All right. So there is an elephant in the room that I'm not sure I really have talked about. And that is the fact that my production of podcasting drastically I mean I've mentioned it but I don't know if I've ever like really addressed it is the idea that I really kind of stopped podcasting for a year almost um, but I'm back and in that year uh, I think a lot of people have just probably just determined or decided that I had uh, faded away and uh, it's better to burn out than to fade away and uh, I haven't burned out yet and I wasn't podcasting so 
I must have faded away, guys, and uh, I apologize for that. I'm back, but some of the repercussions of that are a significant decrease in listenership, which has been happening. I've commented on the past uh, when I used to get 350 listeners to an episode of Random Screed versus now, you know, less than 100. When I mean I've always been above 100, uh, now less than 100. But that's neither here nor there because I've always said as long as it helps one person, I'm going to keep on doing it. And uh, believe it or not, a community has sprung up around doing podcasts that are interacting with each other's podcasts and it's basically everything that I've ever wanted it to be for whatever mile turn left onto North 30th Road but for whatever reason somehow I've all been trying to hold myself aloof I, I shouldn't say that I've been trying to I have been but not purposely only by my nature of not feeling like I fit in anywhere Usually, if people don't fit in anywhere, it's not because there's nowhere for them. It's because they just don't allow themselves to fit into the things that they want to. Uh, And so I put that on me, not on anybody else. And more often than not, I feel like that is the case. You know, if you continually have the same problems or lose friends or lose relationships, uh, at some point in your life... You should be checking on yourself. Continue I just, on North 30th Road for five miles. Well, like just now, I was uh, at a stop sign, and this person was slowing down. It was a four-way uh, intersection, and I thought that the uh, other side of the traffic had uh, no stop sign. And I'm waiting for them to turn on their turn signal. They're slowing down, slowing down like they're going to stop, but they're not turning. How are they turning? What are they doing? And I even gave them the, like, what the F you doing symbol, and then... Uh, uh, then I realized it was a four-way stop. So, yeah, more often than not, it's you. It's not everyone else around you that is creating the problems. At the same time, don't let people walk all over you. But look in the mirror before you look outside if you're going to judge anybody. That's the whole glass houses thing that people have been harping on, right? Um, I guess what I really wanted to say is, and I don't know how I got here, but what I really wanted to say is is that uh, the other Jason, Jason Connerly, the other but just as important or maybe more important Jason has uh, been catching up on some episodes and so I have like nine messages from him. I was just going to do a Jason show but that seemed a little weird. So what I'm going to try to do is put in a few of each of his calls over the next few episodes until hopefully we get caught up because I think he likes to call in on almost every show which is greatly appreciated like massively. All of the people who call into the show I appreciate all the people who listen, I appreciate. And even those of you that don't listen or call in, I appreciate UMFs too. So thank you for that. Without further ado, let's hear from Jason on some episodes that may be going back as far as March. Hey, I'm catching up on your shows. This is the other Jason. Uh, Just started on the after St. Patrick's Day retcon episode. My opinion of retcon is the same as yours, and I do it about the same way you do. So I'm going to keep listening through the current episode. For some reason, your podcast dropped off my feed, and I hadn't been listening to it. Sorry, I'm a bad person, but I'm going to catch up now. So that's the deal. I probably won't call you every episode, but I'll call you now and then uh, as I catch up. Halfway through April 3rd's retcon redux, Larry from Mumphrey's Musings, that is an awesome name, just called in and you answered him. Yeah, so, again, I'm okay with retconning if I make a rules mistake as a GM and 
like take two turns in a row or something like you said. As far as fudging goes, fudging in-game rolls, like combat rolls, things like that, I'm dead stop hard against. The, the dice are the dice, and what comes up comes up. Now, I think they're, if you're rolling for a random monster and you roll the dice and you're like, eh, I don't really want to do that encounter. I'm going to flip, I rolled a 54 and I'm going to flip the numbers or 45 and pick that one instead. I don't think that's fudging in the same way as, you know, making a, a hit a miss, right? So I think if you're fudging on random tables as you, for like generate story generation things, I think maybe there's a little bit of fudge room there, right? But when you're like fudging like to hit die and damage dice, it's a hard pass in my case. Whoops, my episodes are queued out of order. So I'm listening to Osrip, March 31st. And as far as Rich's calls go, and you ask about overbooking the cons, you know, I've recently heard some people from the UK Expo, or I, I think that's what's called anyway, John Allard, a big con over in England. <coughs> Excuse me. John Allard and the Grognard Files guys both said that they that that con was overbooking. So like there'd be four six four six seats at a table and eight players would all show up with tickets. So that's kind of a problem. Um, they weren't sure what the cause of that was either, but you know that's kind of disconcerting as well. I like to be a player at cons. I like to GM. I like to GM and play, so I like to mix them up. But at cons, I tend to run board games and play in RPGs. As far as character death, still on Osrip, March 31st. As far as character death in a OSR kind of game, like OSE, a zero to hero game, or say Warhammer Quest, or basically character death in any game that doesn't have meta currency or a way for your character to normally survive, doesn't have like a DCC kind of roll over the corpse kind of thing, you know what I mean? Any game like that, I think character death's fair, and I'm fine with characters dying, and I kind of expect them to die. It's part of the game, right? Cyberpunk 2020, you're, you're going to have character death in firefights. It happens. Boot Hill, character's going to die. It happens. I, I don't have a problem with that. Now, Boot Hill 3rd Edition has this death save, so there's that. It's a luck stat. But, yeah, in games where, you know, it's, it's like that, I don't have any problem with it, and I kind of like it. When, I don't like for characters to die per se, but I don't want them saved by GM Fiat. All right, so I think we just finished up um, the other screed as uh, Jason has gone through uh, some random screed episodes and commented on some of them, which is super awesome. It reminds me of when R Roy Lorenza was going through the back catalog and calling in, and I was going back and talking with him about the things that he had seen and all of those things. It's, it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So thank you very much, uh, Jason, the main Jason, for uh, going through. And you don't have to listen to the old episodes, but I appreciate that you are. That's for sure. And I really like to hear your commentary, especially on something that I had talked about, you know, as many as a couple, a few months ago retconning and uh osrip os rip which was me really making a joke on the b the bro sr and so i'm like i'm gonna make my own osr rip but whatever uh character death all of these things i think uh are something 
that's important, and I think a lot of us have probably already talked about it on our podcast. Uh, but like I say, I really appreciate hearing your take on my podcast. I hope you uh, keep it up. I hope you keep calling in. Uh, as most screeders should know, we're talking about Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So, Jason, I'm not sure I have anything directly to comment on what you commented on, but uh, maybe I will in the future. Let's get on to the main topic. If he is up or down, his podcast still comes round. Hobbs is in his van. Don't turn off that sad nap man. Random screed, random screed. Don't know what you get, but it's what you need. Hey Jason, this is James Shields. It was good seeing you at North Texas. I wish I could have hung out more and and, and, and played in one of your games. Um, maybe next year when I'm not running the booth as much. I wanted to ask how you handle player absence in your open tables. Last episode you talked about immersion and not breaking the suspension of disbelief. And uh, if, an, if, a, if an adventurer is with you one week and not the other, but they're back the next and you're in the middle of a, of a, of a crawl, you know, how do you handle that? I've been meaning to create a, a random table to explain away some things and um, just wondering how, how you handle it. Um, I know that our uh, sense of improv and creativity can, can handle it, but I was just curious what it is that, that you do specifically. Do you even handle it at all? All right, talk to you later. There you have it, James Shields, also known as J.E. Shields, artiste extraordinaire. I uh, got a chance to see James at North Texas, and I um, commiserate occasionally through the intrawebs with James, and I'm very happy to do so. Great guy. Uh, I think it wasn't the booth that you were busy with. I think more than anything, it was running that crazy-ass Aliens game, and we're not talking the... 19 or 2000 aliens game we're talking 1981 or something uh cool looking stuff that you and your father had put together and got ran a bunch of people through for hours on end it looked like so kudos to you for that my man but as far as player absence goes uh with the subject of uh suspension of disbelief it depends on the game if it is uh, my West Marches or my open table type games, I usually start and end in the same place, or at least you start in a safe place and end in a safe place. And then it goes with the caveat that your character, if you're not there the next, it could be totally different people the next time we play. And in those situations, more often than not, it's setting as protagonist as opposed to player characters as protagonist. Uh, and more importantly, not more importantly, but more precisely, city as protagonist but that's not necessarily true to the individual player or that player character to them they are the protagonist because it's their life but that isn't really the view that the reader or the spectator of the medium has Uh, that's going to be the twitch channel or that's going to be me or the people i talk about my games to because any individual player is not going to know as much about the emergent empires as I am, but they're going to piece through it as they go. It's like my life is creatively examining this made-up setting or settings that I've had 
And when people hear about it from me, be it a podcast or a blog article or an interview on another podcast or Twitch or YouTube or any of these places are just peaks. Just like small little slices of these settings that I have created, which isn't that much different than anything else. But the media used to be movies or TV or books. Now it's a role-playing game. And I'm getting pretty far afield from your question, uh, but I just wanted to uh, kind of maybe explain that a little bit. So in those situations, like I say, start in a safe place, end in a safe place, and it's it's expected that it's not going to be the same character. So that's a moot point as far as your question goes with player absence. In my traditional campaigns, which in the past you know year or two or few years, I've been trying to get those on and not just do west marches games because i feel like uh, you should keep your skills keep your skills going and it's easier to tell some sorts of stories in one medium versus uh, the other meaning you know open table versus traditional campaign anyway i'm going to finally answer your question james and i'm going to say as with designing a system simulation and playability have to be at least two different things that you're going to juggle in a star graph to decide what's more important for the game you're running. And I think as far as the game you're running, player absence also ties into that with how important is continuity to your suspension of disbelief. And so how is it? It's like my old buddy Hoffman used to say, I've never played in a game where one sort of initiative made it any better than another game it doesn't make it more fun it's just a different way of doing it so i'm going to say in all the games that i've played and the times that i've played them in long-term campaigns or what have you uh, the way the method that i personally use is the fade to black method if a player isn't there the character fades to black we don't really talk about the character we don't talk about where the character went we don't do anything and nothing can affect the character except, except if there's a TPK, that character also is lost. That's what I usually do. That's what I talk about in all of my session zeros, which I was told online that I missed the point of the session zero and you could be correct. But to answer that, which I don't know if I ever have, I would say my session zero doesn't have to be your session zero because my player base is not your player base. So before you throw stones, look in the mirror. Anonymous person on the internet. Anyway, I don't know if that answers your question or not. I've heard all sorts of ways. I've complained about them in games that I'm playing in. Like, oh, me and this other guy always have a conversation. And I think maybe in a narrative um, scene in a given game, you could say that you were hanging out talking to someone. You could say there went to town you could say any number of things but if a person knows they're not going to be at a game you may uh, have them be doing something some task that you will resolve either through blue booking meaning off the screen off the table individually with that player or you know you say something that the player i mean i in the past i have had a player have something happen to them they've been kidnapped there's an affliction and then they have to during that session the intent is to you know, go get something and solve the affliction that's happened to the player character. But in the end, I have fail safe 
to this, the fade to black method, it's not going to be for everybody. I'd really like to hear about from other screeners out there what they do. How important is continuity to you? Does it affect your suspension of disbelief in a manner that you can't just have characters fade to black and then come back when they, when the player's back? I don't know. But what I do know is you got a job to do. Stay alive, my friends. There's some of us, there's some of our tribe that are dying and they don't want to. In two miles, take exit 79B for I-39 North, US-51 North toward Rockford. And reversely, I don't want you to die. Stay alive. I love you. It's better to burn out than to fade away.